you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Electric People, quarantine edition. This is quarantine <laughs> edition, Ty. So we, it's going to get uh, weird, we dude. Cannot, it's going to get we weird. We cannot meet in person. This is live quarantine, uh, COVID-19 day nine for us, I believe. So this is, uh, is going to be a fun one. We've got Jordan Laplace. Laplace or Laplace, Jordan? You tell me. You know, I, I go either way. My dad always went Laplace because it was impossible for somebody to pronounce it if you said Laplace. Or, or spell it, you know, but my mom always said Laplace, so I, I'll, I'll take either, both. All right, we'll take, we'll take either one. He answers to many names, but yeah. uh, I've known Jordan for a long time. Jordan and I started working together out in Boston North uh, a little over eight years ago. Jordan was one of the first reps to work in that office with me and really helped me build that team into – um, you know, a perennial top team every single year. It was really instrumental in those early days, helping us kind of figure things out. Uh, one of the most innovative sales reps and sales leaders I think we have in the company. Um, I'm always really impressed with the way Jordan attacks uh, problems and is looking for creative solutions. And uh, he's been in the door-to-door industry for 13 years now. Uh, you're an old wily vet, Jordan. You're I an know. Old wily it vet. Feels like just yesterday I was a young buck, and now I'm old and getting <laughs> fat. Yep, you are. Man. You are. We got to get you on a treadmill, buddy. Dude, uh, I, I have one in my house. I have no excuse. That's one of my qualities as a leader. I just, I just criticize my, you know, the people I work with. <laughs> well, I believe um, you've been hitting the treadmill lately, Adam. Right, so that qualifies you as being able to vilify this man publicly. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, three yeah. days in. I'm three days in, so I can call it. <laughs> there you go. Little cocky. Little uh, cocky. You're out. a pro. You're a pro. Um, now. Jordan. Are you on the Peloton Jordan, treadmill? I am on the Peloton. The Pelotons, uh, you know, one of our sponsors. I wish they were one of our sponsors, but yeah, they're they're great. Uh, it's a great product if you don't have great one. Great product, man. Great and product. And you can get one. You should get your hands on one. Give uh, us money, Jordan. Peloton. <laughs> Use my referral code. Yes, I'll post up my referral code later. Um, Jordan, probably most famous. Well, he's been in solar for a little over eight years now. Most famously was one of, if not the first sales rep slash manager to eclipse the $1 million mark in commissions in the solar game. And I feel like he's been living on that accomplishment for quite some time now. <laughs> Definitely. But, um, <laughs> Definitely riding that one. <laughs> but he's been riding that one. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it happened and he was the first one to do it, which is actually a pretty awesome accomplishment. Um, it's very cool. He's installed... He's installed, uh, what are we at, Jordan? A little over 425 uh, personal accounts. That's exactly um, right. he, his best quarter was 66 installs and uh, installed 1.6 megawatts in one single year. I think that quarter he did 66, you were at like 600 plus kilowatts that quarter, right? Yeah, well, that year so, I averaged 10. 
So I average yeah. 10 kilowatts in install, yeah. A little over Pretty 10. crazy. I think Jordan's most impressive accomplishment, Ty, I know this intro is turning into quite the intro here, but um, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan's- This is the best intro most, any of our guests has ever gotten, that's for sure. This well, I is, I think we're almost, we're almost out of time, but uh, <laughs> Jordan, um, Jordan's probably, I think my most favorite thing Jordan has done is he has been a part of the leadership group of two of the top teams of all time uh, at Vivint Solar in the solar industry. He's like, he's akin to uh, LeBron James going from, you know, the heat to the Cavaliers, wherever he goes, championships follow him. And uh, he was promoted to DC North back in the days and DC North along with Mark Toon and Keith Hewling and Ryan Tall, those guys, uh, became the number one installing office. Uh, they've installed more panels, more kilowatts than any office in the history of solar. And Jordan was a huge part of the success of that team. Um, he opened up the Florida market as the director down there um, and had one of the fastest growing markets down there. And then he took a position up in Boston North uh, to be a director and manager in New England and has helped the Boston North team become one of the top teams in the industry uh, today. And he's also the uh, recruiting director for all of New England as well. So I don't know if you knew that, Ty, but Jordan, everyone that we recruit in New England, every single office, they funnel all their recruits through Jordan. He screens them. He talks to them. He sells them on the company. And over this past year, um, New England has seen probably its largest growth uh, that we've ever seen here in the eight-year history uh, that we've been doing this out here. So Jordan's been a massive part of our success and uh, just a huge part of the success of Vivint Solar overall. So anyway, long I think I counted intro, like eight titles. Ever, <laughs> There's like eight titles ever, in oh, that intro. Oh, I forgot. The, actually, the title of this one, what Jordan is known in the Boston North office is uh he's actually his actual nickname is the sensei because Ooh, whenever like he trains that. he just he blows their minds and they all uh they all refer to him as sensei whenever jordan trains so so there Pretty you impressive. have it jordan jordan laplace uh, thanks for being on electric people and jordan i have Dude. one question for you are you wearing yeah, are you wearing blue screen glasses right now I am, man. I uh, I got to with this with this uh, coronavirus going on. Taking no chances all day. Yeah, yeah. Taking no chances. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish I everybody them. could see. But those are fashionable. Those ones, you don't look like a total nerd. I think uh, I was actually going for the nerd look, Ty. So thanks no, a lot. Dude, you're man. above no, that. You're above that. You're looking good, no. dude. No, I, I'm um, uh, I'm excited to be here. You know what my favorite accomplishment is, though. Uh, I got to tell you this, it, it just happened recently, um, but it's actually Don Gomez making a million dollars. That is the, the, my favorite thing that I've, I've been a part of out of any of the successes I've had in my career. I think that's the thing that I'm the, the most proud of. He's got a really cool story. Like we had, uh, we had him on the show and it was, it's really impressive to, to hear his, his background and stuff. But yeah, I think, I think, you know, this podcast is a lot about, it's about sales and stuff, but it always, we rely pretty heavily on leadership and uh, it's really cool to come in and have good commissions and earnings and stuff like that. But when it starts, when your when your legacy starts creating more leaders and stuff, that's, that's really the mark. Yeah, man. I, I think, uh, 
that's what it's all about is, you know, uh, eventually getting to the point where you're, you're focusing on things like growth and impact. Um, and, uh, and Ty, you've been doing this such a long time. I just have, a, you know, I just have such respect for you and Adam. And it's really cool because you guys are both such different people, but, um, I know that you guys get it where it gets to a point where like your, you know, your personal production doesn't have as cool of a feeling as when somebody that you've worked with, you know, makes it big and, and does really yeah. well, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of go both ways on it. Right. Cause obviously that's where most of my time is spent now is recruiting and developing leaders much like you, but there's still something just amazing about getting an account through like getting an install you know it's like yeah immediate value there, that you made you know yeah well the the interesting part of it is the higher up you go in a leadership role you don't you don't get the immediate gratification of like a number showing up on the stat sheet you know what i mean like you could oh, make yeah. a bunch of calls all day you might meet with a leadership group you might do all these other things and none of it shows up on a stat sheet anywhere and when you go out and sell an account there's no other feeling like knocking a door or going even going to a referral and walking out with a signed contract and then hopping on, you know, League Live or Mercury and seeing that number next to yeah. your name and then like screenshot posted on a group chat. Like there's nothing better than that. That's, you know, that's dopamine. That is what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's such an important thing for, for salespeople to understand is that, uh, dopamine is such a motivating factor. You know, I, I actually attribute my best year. Um, you know, I, people always ask me this, but I didn't go through like some crazy transformation. I didn't become a different person really. You know, I mean, my mindset was different, but I, I really look back on it now and I'm like, you know, that was just heavily influenced by almost like a, like a dopamine addiction, you know, where, Every single day, like exactly what you just described, every single day I was on quick stats, you know, watching where everybody at was at with kilowatts and what they were at on the week. And I just wanted to be in that newsletter every single week that, you know, Jeremy used to send out. And uh, it, it's just that, that dopamine is that, you know, whole, you know, seeing progress basically. And, and that's what's so hard about like what you're talking about with, with leadership is you don't see the progress right away. It's such a delayed you know, uh, you know, gratification, but, um, where, when you sell, you put a number up, it shows up on quick stats, you post it on your, your group chat and you see that progress. And that, that, that dopamine is what really drives, you know, salespeople. And you can actually really increase your performance by maximizing your dopamine, you know, in, intake basically where, you know, dopamine specifically comes from you being able to visualize progress, right? So if, you make all of your goals visual. If you make your progress visual, like a good rule of thumb with this, like have you ever played, um, have you ever played like a phone app? Have you ever played one of those, like a phone game? Mm -hmm. There's like a million of them. I know this is like a tough question to admit. Like, publicly, but if you've ever played a, a phone game where they charge you money, right? If you look at how they set those up, it is unbelievable. They have exploited the dopamine addiction so well everything is so visual and like there's little bars and tracking and like you see all of this progress and you just want to get to the the next little point and and uh man if we could set our lives up like a friggin phone app game we would all be you know millionaires you know well i think that's important because think about this um and in your job i actually want to hear your take on this but um when you talk about 
you know, we often say sales fixes everything and sometimes mm-hmm. we joke about it, but here's, here's what I've learned about that thought. And if you're, you know, the people that are listening to this are at different points in their career, but we all sell for a living. And right. so, you know, when you get into a slump and you get bummed out or you get depressed, right? A lot of times that's because of lack of movement or like you were just saying, you're not, you don't see the progress, right? But right. when you go out and you make a new sale, the reason that selling fixes everything, when you go out and you make a new sale, your, 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 your chemical makeup is different, right? Number yes. one, you've made a connection, you've built a sale, you've added value, you get recognition, but the chemicals flowing through your body, you're actually a different person. You think different based on those chemicals, you feel different, you perform differently, right? What are, what are yeah. some of the tips that you give to people to get out of slumps and start start experiencing that. Yeah, this is great. So we do this a lot, right? With, uh, with leadership and, and sales is so much of a roller coaster and cycles that you have to get really good at this, this part of it. And so, um, cause you know, once you get to a certain point, if you want to perform at a certain level, you really can't afford to have, you can afford to have slumps, but you can't afford to have long slumps, right? Like that's the, the difference. They gotta be quick and you gotta get out of it quick. And so, uh, the advice that I give to people with this, is you have to start the momentum going in the right direction. And we all kind of have like this personal bank account where the more times that we tell ourselves we're going to do something and then we don't do it, we're just withdrawing from that personal bank account. And it puts us into the negative and we get into the negative, it becomes very difficult to get out of the negative. And this is kind of what causes these these slumps is just us not doing what we told ourselves we, we were going to do and what our goals were and what we wanted to do. And, you know, guys face this every day to go out and knock doors, right? It's, it's a, they have to fight this battle, which is, am I going to work today or am I not going to, to work today? And so um, what I tell them to do to get the momentum going back in the right direction is just focus on something so small. So like, what are three things that you could do right now that contribute to your life, that contribute to your goals and your success, that you know you can do them and you can do them right now. Like what's the most productive thing you could do in the next 60 seconds? Is it getting off the couch? Is it getting out of bed? Is it doing, you know, 15 push-ups? Is it just getting dressed to go out to work? Is it putting your shoes on? Is it getting in the car? And you start this ball rolling in the right direction just by little things. If you try to go into, I need to get a sale today, and that's your goal to get out of a slump, that's just such an insurmountable thing to get to at that point that you're not going to be able to wrap your head around that if you're in a slump. But if it's something little, like I'm going to do 15 pushups right now. Okay, cool. I feel really good. Like you said, I just got a little dopamine from it. You're now changing into the person that you need to be to go, you know, sell and actually accomplish this. So that's the best advice I've ever given that I've ever received myself to get out of a slump is just focus on the tiny little things that you can do to start the ball rolling in the right direction. And then the ball starts rolling, they start adding up. And before you know it, you're, you're selling 10 in a week, as opposed to just struggling to get out of bed and get out to area, you know? So yeah. that's, that's the Jordan. Um, Jordan and I have had the opportunity to work really closely together over the last couple of years. And then, you know, years ago as well. And I think what impresses me most about Jordan's approach to sales training is the he's always focused on the psychology behind why people behave the way they behave, right? So, um, and that goes with customers as well. So it's how, why, why do people make decisions? Why do sales reps act a certain way? 
why do we behave certain ways? So it's, it seems like all of your training, whether it's sales training on getting customers to say yes or act a certain way or behave a certain way or sales reps to get out and behave a certain way, why do you feel what, or I guess why is that your approach to training, any training, whether it's sales, customer training, you know, any type of training that you're doing, why does it always have a sense of psychology behind it? Well, I, th I think, you know, psychology is like, it's like the matrix. It's like your ability to see the world what, of what it's actually made up of, as opposed to like the surface value of it, you know? And so I'm constantly paying attention to that and looking at the psychology uh, behind it. And, and, you know, whether I'm getting a massage and I'm like, you know what, she keeps talking about this knot. There's no such, like, I'm like that part, that little piece of cartilage in my back, that's the same everybody has that, you know I mean? That's not a knock, you know, but she's, she's selling right now. You know what I mean? And so it, it's just uh, constantly looking at the psychology, but the, the quicker that someone figures out that their mind controls everything in their life, the quicker that they're going to be able to have everything that they want out of life. And, you know, like for me, there, there's been times in my life where, you know, I wanted to kill myself. There's been times where, uh, every single day before I, I knocked a door and went out to area, I like sat on the curb and cried. And then there's been times, you know, in my life where I was consistently making 20 grand a week, you know, and accomplishing everything that I, you know, just like feeling like pinching myself, like how can this actually be my life? And the, the biggest thing that I realized, you know, that, that got me the bridge from, you know, a dark place to like, haven't you know haven't felt negative or, or depressed for probably 15 years is the the realization that controlling being able to control your mind is the key to everything in life so if you're not really paying attention to the psychology behind things right now like that would be something that i would really work on because that is the key to 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 everything and you know and, and I, I you know a lot of people don't know this but i was raised by two psychologists so I, you know i think that that definitely had uh, something to do with my my interest in it, right? Like that was actually dinner time talk growing up was them talking about you know all psychology of a lot of things and, and both of your parents are it. psychologists. Both of them are. Yeah, I'd like so. to come to dinner with the Laplaces slash Laplaces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or would no, you? So, yeah. No, you? no, I would. I'd let them straight inside my brain. They'd be wrong yeah. if they could come in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they'd be wrong. They, you think they'd be wrong, but actually, right. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Who's actually, Jordan, you mentioned, uh, you know, the matrix shout out to Jeff Elder. He always listens to these, but he posted a quote the other day from Keanu Reeves that said, little did you know that the matrix was actually a documentary. Have you seen that quote? <laughs> I haven't. That's cool. I like that. That's cool. It, it, it yeah. really is, man. Like it's, it's, you know, you look at it from a psychological perspective, it's always where are they coming from? What are they actually thinking right now? Not what are they saying? And I, I try yeah. not to even listen to the words that people are saying, but what are they actually saying? You know, and that's something mm. you can practice over time is you got to realize how people are thinking and you got to realize where people are coming from. It's so different. Everybody that you talk to is kind of projecting how they feel on the world and they're also perceiving the world in their own eyes so like you know it, it's just exciting stuff you know to learn about this and the why and once once you learn the the language you can kind of recode it you know what i mean 
and it's just like rewriting your own code and rewriting the code for for other people and if you don't understand the code then you know you're kind of just at the will of what's going to happen so so talk about that from a rep performance standpoint because i'd like the people listening to be able to self-diagnose for a second i i often think of when i'm training reps on doors I like to, I, w- I always wish I could do like a Zach Morris pause where I could pause time and say, stop. You said it like what's actually happening here. I know they're telling you that, that whatever, mm-hmm. they're not interested. What's actually happening. What you might find is this woman doesn't trust me or, or they've heard, I sound just like the last five guys that were here. Right. right. Um, so with rep performance, what are some of the things that, that help you understand what's actually happening? Because in Boston North right now, you guys have one of the highest rep productivity metrics, if not the highest in the company. Last I checked, you were either one or two. You're really high. Um, so what are common things for those that are listening where they can kind of get outside of themselves and look at Because being self-aware is really hard. You can't just tell someone, hey, be self-aware. What are some tips or what are some things that you've sure. seen that have helped people get out of themselves? And, and I, I think better? the most common one and important one on the doors is the fact that all objections on the door really fall into like, you know, two categories, which is, and th- this is something I had to really train my mind again, hearing what they were actually saying as opposed to what they were saying with their mouth. And, you know, that is like, you know, any objection that they're saying, like, you know, now is not a good time. Can you come back when my husband's here? Uh, we're eating dinner. I want to do my research. Like, all of these are saying the same thing. It's, I don't understand this yet. Can you please explain it again? Okay, now, the please explain it again is, you know, kind of something that I'm saying for my own self. Really, what they are saying, though, is I don't understand this yet. And because I don't understand it, I'm shutting this down, you know? And so you should never respond to what they just said. So, you know, we're eating dinner right now. I wouldn't say something like, Oh, this will just take five minutes and then you could get back to cooking or eating dinner. Okay. I would respond to, Hey, I don't understand this yet. Can you explain it again? So I would say, yeah, I, geez, I'm sorry. I'm explaining this wrong. Basically uh, what's going on is this. Okay. So I'm actually, once you can start responding to what they're actually saying with their minds, then that's when you become like Jedi level, you know, salesperson. So like, that's the the goal is, is really understanding that. But it, as far as, um, you know, self-diagnosing, um, you know, I mean, well, what, what was the question again, Ty? Well, what are, what are like, I, I like the, the, the road you're going down because yeah. I think a lot of people in their minds, one of the problems that I, I, I see with reps and their performance, the reason they don't unlock their full potential often is because they think their situation is unique, right? They mm-hmm. think, yeah. well, for example, I have five kids. So I'm like, well, dude, it's pretty hard for me. Easy for Jordan, the place to make a million dollars. He doesn't have five kids, mm-hmm. but then you look at, well, John Sanders has a bunch of kids and he travels, right? Yeah. But we almost, so how do, you, how do we get ourselves to maybe not believe that story? Or, for example, you mentioned, which I want to get back to, you battled some dark days, you battled depression. Someone could look at this and say, well, yeah, Adam's successful, but he doesn't have a mind like mine, right? Like, how do, how do, how do reps look at what's really happening versus the story they're telling themselves and get beyond it? The fact is, I went from being mediocre to the number one guy, and I it like almost overnight, like this was not like some, you know, long drawn out, like I, 
you know, I had to work on myself for years before I could accomplish that. The reality is, is that all of us, and I just got to witness this through Don, you know, Don just went through this. I knew Don right when he started on this, this path of, you know, you know, becoming a guy who earns, you know, seven figures. And the reality is that I've realized is that I always had what it took in, you know, in me, right. I, I didn't change my genetic makeup or, or anything to get from there to there. The, the, the biggest thing was making the decision and just kind of changing the, the mindset. And, and I know that that sounds cliche, but I guess the point is that it doesn't matter who you are or what your reasons are or what your excuses are. You already have it in you to do amazing things. You look at all these people who have just done incredible, you know, things like the, uh, what's his name? Alex, the guy that um, climbed, uh, you know, El Honald. Honald. Honald, yeah. Yep. You know, or even Iron Cowboy or just any of these success stories that you hear like what was so different about that person before they were able to accomplish that? There, there really wasn't. Like if you watch that Netflix backstory of Alex Honnold, like it's just a regular dude. They're like interviewing his parents. He's not like, you know, and so it's just like, no matter where you're at, that's another important point or who you were in the past, all of us have the ability to change our mindset and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. Like going back to what I said, it's, it's 100% in the, in the mind and, and any excuses that you have other than I'm not doing a good enough job controlling my mind. They're, they're BS, you know, is, is, is really something, something I wanted to kind of touch on. And I know a lot of the guys that listen to this are in leadership roles right now and they're in a DM group or even just a leadership role in their office and something that I think is kind of unique to Vivint Solar is the way we structure our leadership groups. And when Jordan came to Boston North uh, a little over two years ago, he was coming into a fairly hostile environment. Um, the managers there were, uh, you know, were guys that had I'd worked directly with for a while. And Boston North has always been kind of a really protective, really close-knit leadership group. And when I kind of had the idea with Mark Toon to approach Jordan about coming up to Boston from Florida and moving into that leadership group, um, you know, I was just looking at all the good qualities Jordan had. And I saw a leadership group that was, um, you know, it was Mackenzie Watts, Don Gomez, John Stanisek, and then we had a couple other guys there still. And they were all great, but they were a little inexperienced, especially running a really big team. And the team was um, in kind of a low point. And there was a lot of, you know, just like friction with the DM group and friction with the team. And it was probably one of its lowest points that particular office has ever been in. And so I looked at Jordan as someone who could come in and add some stability, some leadership experience and also his ability to diagnose what a team needs, I feel like is as good as anyone that I've ever worked with. What I didn't anticipate is how strongly the existing DMs would like refuse to work with him. And it's not that they didn't like Jordan personally, but there was just this weird tension that was palpable. I mean, it was tangible and it was like this outsider was coming into this really close knit group. I'll tell you exactly what watching, it 
It, it was, I represented the fact that you, Adam, dad, didn't believe that they could do it on their own, you know, like that, like, yeah. and so me coming in, that was like, you know, the, what I represented. So I, I represented just this hateful figure coming in for sure, you know, so. Well, yeah, it was like, it was like I was turning the family business over to my kids and then my kids, you know, they, the way they were almost viewing it was like, like, I didn't think the kids were doing a good job running it. And I brought in this outsider to help them kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not the case. Cause I'd worked with Jordan for years in the past and I had just as good a relationship with Jordan um, during past years. Right. So mm-hmm. I was just viewing it from this, like from this aerial level where I had great relationships with all of them. And I was like, Oh, I'll just marry all these people together and it'll just be <laughs> this perfect little, you know, marriage. Right. Um, and Ty, like, I'm not kidding you when I'm saying like, there was, it was like game of Thrones in that office. Like they were constantly (laughs) trying to like vilify Jordan and, and Jordan's trying to work through all these things. I, I I don't want to do, you know, McKenzie and John and Don a disservice here because they, to their credit, um, the four of them were the fastest. Um, and at the time I think there was a couple other leaders in that office and the four of them were the quickest to figure out that Jordan had a lot of value to bring. But Jordan, can you kind of walk us through, I, you know, I, I'm assuming that there are DM groups within the company right now that sure. aren't functioning as a perfect cohesive unit right now. And so you walked into a really hostile environment, uh, a group that wasn't cohesive at all. And now I would argue that you guys are the most cohesive DM group uh, for sure, in my opinion, on the East Coast. And, you know, who knows company-wide, Ty, you know, could tell me. But, um, you know, you guys are functioning at a really high level of trust right now and as cohesive a unit as I've ever seen. So how did you take it from this extreme to the other over a two year period. And I know you didn't do it by yourself, but how did you, you know, overcome like constantly feeling like you were trying to be ousted out of the team and like all this stuff and just keep at it. So if you can maybe talk about that for a minute. Absolutely. And this is such a cool story. This is another thing that I'm just unbelievably proud of. And you're right. Like we are so close now and you know, this may hurt some feelings out there, but this is the group of DMS that I've ever been uh, the closest with. And um, it started off really bad like you said, you know, and I, I think that there's something to be said about that, that I don't know that it could have been worse in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like those guys are not fake guys. I mean, it was like publicly, you know, <laughs> did not want me there, you know? And so uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is you have to understand that you're starting over no matter what, when you come into that situation, you know, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished in the, in the past you're, you're still starting it at level one. And, and I think I definitely messed that up and, and kind of skipped that. So once I realized that I was like, all right, I need to start at level one here and act like I'm, you know, never done anything and I can never accomplish anything in my life and, and really, you know, come in and, and earn their respect and their, their trust. And, and over time it would slowly get better and then fall apart at the end of every quarter when it came, you know, DM splits times. And uh, it was this long cyclical thing. And I remember there was a turning point where it finally gotten down to the four of us. And they realized that they couldn't get rid of me finally. <laughs> I was sticking around and I, I wasn't leaving. 
and uh, they, you know, we had a lot of these moments where we started to really trust each other and really come closer together, but just us, the four of us never giving up and, and willing to, um, you know, work out our, our differences. And then uh, I remember there was a time where, you know, I found out that they had still had like a message group with just the, the three of them. And I was just really direct and being like, hey, I know you guys don't mean anything by it, but that makes me feel like an outsider when you guys have your own kind of, you know, separate texts and, and kind of just brought everything to the light and just kept practicing, never um, just going to Adam. It was always like, go directly to the person and talk about it with them. And we practiced that over and over and over again. And when it didn't happen, we would come together as a group and be like, hey, we noticed you went out of line, you went over our head and went to Adam and, you know, complained about somebody. And so now, like, we never go to, to Adam about each other. Well, and it wasn't, we're, it we're wasn't Jordan. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't Jordan coming to me and saying, Hey, like, what do you think we should do this? That it was like, Jordan would address issues with them directly. But the problem is I was so close with those other three. They would come to me about stuff all the time. And then the mistake I was making as a leader is sitting there trying to work through it with them. And the, what I should have done is said, well, have you already talked to Jordan about this? Right. And the one things, Ty, that Jordan, I would say, does as well as anyone I've ever worked with is he's very good at giving his own leadership fairly critical feedback in a way that feels really constructive. And as a rep, as a DM, as a director, if you're listening, um, you know, Jordan, I think maybe talk about that, like the skill set of giving people above you good feedback when you know it's necessary. Cause there's been plenty of time. And I would say you've given me some of the best feedback I've ever personally had as a leader and it, because I know it comes from a healthy, loving place. It's always well received. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely something that I've learned over the years is essential to being a, a good leader. And, you know, it's also the people below you. That's your co-managers and it's the people above you that this dynamic happens, but it's, you know, being strict, expecting a lot um, and giving, you know, it's like, it's not blind loyalty. It's loyalty. Like I forget what call we were on the other day, but it was, they were talking about this and I was like, damn, that's awesome. But it was, uh, it was like, you know, loyalty is not blindly following. It's sticking by them no matter what and telling them when they've got it wrong, you know, and, and I thought that that, and then helping them fix it basically. And I thought that was the, the coolest thing. And, and it really just reminded me of, of what you said to that. But, um, you know, it, it, the balance is really difficult um, because they have to know that you care about them and you have to really be coming from a place of caring about them and not self-interest. And so like it, you know, if, if, if you're really focused on your own significance and, and uh, you're trying to give somebody else constructive criticism, it's no matter how hard you try it, it's just not going to come across right, you know. But if people know that you are really concerned with growth and helping other people, then you're going to be able to give constructive criticism from the right place and it's going to be you know, receive from the right place, but it always hurts. You got to go in, you got to weigh the cost. Like when I tell this to somebody, are they, you know, how is this going to affect, you know, the, the situation? I know that they're not going to take this well, but I care so much about them that 
I'm, I'm not going to be the person that they, I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear. I'm going to tell them what they need to hear, you know? And a lot of times in my career, it's been much easier just to keep my mouth shut. I'll tell you that. But um, there's times where I've really felt that like it was worth it to, you know, put myself out on a limb, make myself look bad. And, and, uh, and then, you know, potentially, you know, even hurt their feelings a little bit because in the long run, it's going to make them a better person. And, and something that I live by is be the leader that they love a year from now when they see their 1099s, not the leader that they love today because you let them off the hook. And, and that's, you know, one of the things I really try to live by. And, you know, thankfully I've had such amazing mentors like, you know, Neil Rogers, who uh, is very strict and, and um, you know, does, does not let people off the hook. And it's not coming from a, a dictator or a power hungry thing. You know, that's not what it is. It's just because he cares about you and he wants you to be the best version of yourself. And you know that, you know, I think um, from your story with uh, one of the things that you, you mentioned very first was, you know, you came in there and you, you tried to maybe have some influence based on your, your past performance or past accomplishments or whatever. Yeah, big mistake. Yeah. You said you quickly learned you have to start from zero. Um, I think John Maxwell's stuff, I think like the 21 irrefutable laws and the five levels of leadership, that's like, that's like doctrine for sales leaders. Um, I agree. But he talks about that, right? He talks about, and then you've seen it because you've switched from Florida or DC to Florida to Boston and, and a whole bunch of places in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but how common is that? I, I, I see it a lot where if people only understood that you're starting over again, with the levels of leadership, Maxwell basically says you can't skip levels. And anytime your position or your circle changes, you have to go through the levels again. How common is it that you see people wrestle with themselves and not gain the influence that they could have because they don't understand that? I see it all the time, especially any situation where there's a transplant, which means like, so like DC North was more of like homegrown. I was there from when there was like four guys. You know what I mean? You get a lot, get a you get away with a lot more when you homegrew a an office. You know, mm-hmm. Boston was already here. These DMs, these guys were already here. You know, they've been here for years. You know, and um, so you're anytime you see that where you're coming in in a situation like that it's going to be very, very difficult and very painful. You know, I saw Ryan Tall do it really successfully in DC North, actually. Um, He did an excellent job with it. But I've seen a lot of failure. You see this a lot, Ty, uh, at other companies, actually, where um, they'll give them a, you know, they can't really recruit off of culture or pay, so they'll recruit off of title, right? And they'll make them a position at some other solar company or some other alarm company or something like that. And it's a transplant situation and it crashes and burns like pretty hard because they skip steps. They, they're acting like they're the DM when they haven't actually earned that yet, you know? And so it's uh, that's, that's where I think you really see it commonly is at a company that has a culture of skipping steps like that. Um, you'll see it across the board really. So what do you mean by skipping steps? Like what would, what would an example be of, you know, a leader who has skipped steps and uh, how does that negatively impact his ability to have influence? So like basically coming down on, you know, people or talking down to people as a, you know, sometimes a leader, not talking down, but like 
giving constructive criticism or, or being frustrated or something like that with, you know, somebody that is, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole than you before you establish yourself in their eyes as the actual leader, the title doesn't mean crap. You know what I mean? Like if you haven't added a tremendous amount of value to their life, if they don't feel that they are a better version of themselves around you at that point, then you're not really in a position to be, um, you know, talking down to them or, or, or coming down on them and that sort of thing. So I, I see you guys skip that where um, I've even seen leadership core guys where they get in leadership core and they start to act a little bit better than uh, the reps. And the reality is they just haven't earned it yet. Um, and then I've seen leadership core guys where, you know, they're not even a DM and they have earned it. They've earned, they've earned the respect by, you know, consistently, being committed to helping others grow and add value to their lives, not just their own and have had all the respect in the world, you know? So it's, it's not even the, the, the title really. And then you see it with, with DMs, right. Where, um, you know, there's like the positional leadership just because you have the position, you have a little bit of, you know, respect, but it quickly fades. And that's what I'm talking about where you'll really see that at other companies that crash and burn and then the guys burn out of the industry, you know? So. Well, yeah. it's interesting, you know, and we, we were talking about your transition into Boston a couple of years ago. And I remember you and I had this conversation where and Ty, you've probably seen this before as well, but um, I noticed so one thing that Jordan is really good at is as good as he is at giving constructive criticism, he probably accepts criticism and feedback as well as anybody I know also. And he doesn't get offended by it. Um, he kind of just takes it on the chin and is willing to really look at it. And then he admits when he feels like he's wrong and quickly changes behavior. And I remember, um, there was a time when uh, I was watching a group text and um, Jordan was res was responding to these group texts very sort of quickly with, and I could tell he just was not being patient with the group text. And I remember calling him and talking through it. And I said, here's what's happening right now. I said, um, you know, imagine you're Tom Brady at the line of scrimmage and you see that Julian Edelman is lined up out of position. You don't have time to sit and explain to him why him being lined up out of position is going to negatively impact the play, right? Like you don't want to sit and explain it. You just want to yell at him like, hey, like take two steps over to the right. Otherwise, this play is going to fail. And you're just yelling, take two steps to the right. And like um, I said, that's kind of what you're doing with the other DMs right now is you're just yelling at them to do what you know is the correct thing. Unfortunately, you don't have the same cachet that Tom Brady has, right, with his players. Like, they need you to still explain to them why you're asking them to do things. and um, Or ask them instead of barking at them. You know, like, so, like, in that situation that you're describing with Tom Brady, he's not going to be like, Julian, is it okay if you move over two feet? He's like, move over two feet, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, and, and the reality is in that situation, I, you know, I was not at the line of scrimmage and I, I could have, you know, done a better job, you know, more so asking and explaining versus, you know, just being like, do this. It, you know, and this is like a great example of the psychology of like, we're in that situation, I'm projecting, right? 
it was very obvious to me. I, I knew that this needed to be done. I was like a hundred percent sure on it, but uh, you know, I was projecting that everyone saw it like that. And that's not the case. You always have to be careful when you're a leader and when you're a sales rep of projecting how you feel. Like I see reps do this a lot. This is really interesting. So um, I see uh, some sales reps who are very, particular and good at following up and good at answering people's phone calls. These are the guys that would never forget somebody's birthday and uh, they would never miss a call and not call somebody back. Okay. And when they call a customer or they stop by a customer's house and they don't call them back, they think this customer must want to cancel, you know, and they must not want to do it. They must not like me. And they give up really easily because in their mind, they would never not call someone back unless they hated the person and they wanted nothing to do with them. However, I have to explain yeah. to them that people are so different. Like for me, and I was like, just use me for an example. I don't call people back all the time. And I really, really like them, you know? And like, you know, I, I would really appreciate, in fact, with a lot of things in my life, if people would continue following up and like bugging me about it, that would actually... I would really appreciate that. And so like, you don't know if the guy on the other end of the, the phone is somebody who wants you to follow up a bunch of times or if the guy actually wants nothing to do with you. Usually it's just, they didn't have time. He didn't think about it. It's low on his priority list. And so guys take it personally sometimes because they're like, thankfully I had that advantage, I guess, is that I'm so much the opposite of that, that I never thought that the person didn't want to talk to me. I was like, Oh, he's just busy. He just forgot about it. You know, and just kept following up, following up, following up, you know? Yeah, I think that idea that that there's two things happening, right? There's there's what they're saying is going on and and what's actually happening internally. And I think I think your ability to look at a situation and say what what's why are you so upset? You know what I mean and actually like mm -hmm. look into it. I think I think that's really important. Um if it's okay, you mentioned that you you battled some some dark days and and had a bout with depression. That it, you might get this a lot, but you're always in a good mood. You're always smiling. You're always joking. When I see you, I only mm -hmm. see you a handful of times a year, but um, if you don't mind maybe sharing um, what that was like for you and how, how you managed to have success in your profession that requires so much personality and energy. Um, how did you manage that to success or, or do you feel like it's something you still have to work on? Um, you know, I hate to say that I've got it all figured out, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's been a really long, I, I would say I'm, the, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, like consistently like level headed and uh, not a ton of ups and downs, to be honest with you, uh, you know, mentally, but um, you know, I, I think <clears throat> over the years, just learning and really paying attention and, and to the fact that, the way that you're thinking about things is affecting everything in your life. And it's just like that momentum thing with, with depression, it's the same way, you know, where, you know, they, everything starts to, to spiral uh, down the, the wrong direction that you want it to be. And then if you just try to focus on, if you're trying to get out of that hole, it just seems so insurmountable, but the goal is not to get out of the hole. The goal is to, take a tiny step in the right direction. That's all you focus on right now is doing one positive thing. I'm going to tell myself I'm going to do 15 push-ups. I'm going to do it right now. And before I even have time to think about it, I'm already doing push-ups. Now I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm starting to be in the, you know, the right, going in the right direction. But um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I think everybody has hard times and everybody has, you know, backstories and, you know, backstories are, 
kind of like assholes. Like everybody's got one and they're full of crap that you never want to deal with again. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think all of our guests say that for some reason. No, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure that's excuses. I think that, I think the metaphor is excuses, Jordan. I don't no, know. Backstories. backstories. Keep going. Hey man, it's backstory. Whatever sensei says goes. So, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's opinions is the, is the one, but, um, no, you know, I, I think, you know, that is really the the message is that, you know, it's it's not like, you know, I, I was some golden boy or something like that. Like I, I went through a lot of hard times, just like everybody has, you know, and the, 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 the point is that, like, you know, kings are not made without going through very, very difficult times like this coronavirus right now this is a time where a lot of Kings will be made. Like you can't have a King be made without, you know, some really extenuating, you know, circumstances. Like that's kind of what it's all about. And there will be people that rise out of this situation, you know, and if it didn't happen, they would have never, you know, achieved what they, they go on to achieve, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, sheep right now in the world where they're kind of just, following what everybody else is doing. And, and uh, I don't know, my advice to you would be if the, if the masses are doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. You know, like if more than 51% of people are watching reality TV right now, like I probably wouldn't be watching reality TV right now. You know, it's just, (laughs) you know, you, you try to live by your own set of values and not care what other people are doing and not care what other people think and not be influenced by other people, you know? Jordan, your job right now is you're the director of a recruiting for New England specifically. And with this coronavirus going on right now, you're still recruiting full steam. And Mm -hmm. what I wanted to ask you about this is you spend your day convincing people to come work with us at Vivint Solar. And you do it very, very well. New England's grown as much in the last 12 months as they've ever grown. And Right now, you're still convincing people to come work with Vivint Solar. Why do you feel like the company is uniquely positioned right now, especially during this time with what we have going on in the, in the country? Honestly, the reason is because of our leadership. Um, it's kind of always been our secret sauce, but it really shines in times like this. Like, I'm amazed at how quickly uh, – a $2 billion company has turned on the dime with this where um, there's, there's just no way that anybody could compete with that type of maneuverability. You know, I mean, we're talking massive company, thousands of employees and like instantly innovating, adapting, like changing to like, you know, zig and zag with what's going on. And it's honestly been amazing to watch and, it's so easy to recruit right now because like nobody has a plan <laughs> right now. And Vivint is just like absolutely dominating with the, the plan. And it's, it's really, it's so interesting too. like, we're going to attract so much people and, and even our current people are going to be so much attracted to that more now than ever. Like right now there's like this imbalance with like kind of the four basic, like psychological needs, like every human, they need, certainty they need a little bit of uncertainty like variety and uncertainty they need significance and they need love and connection right and right now that is completely out of whack for people first of all 
uncertainty is like off the charts, right? Like there's so much uncertainty uh, right now. If you really, if you listen to just the media and like you're nonstop dumping that into your brain, like you're going to feel so uncertain about what's going on. And then uh, there's a lot less of love and connection right now too. Like people are trapped inside their, their houses, you know? And so uh, Vivint being able to provide one like certainty to people right now is such a valuable thing that's going to attract uh, a lot of people um, where these other companies don't know if they're even going to be around in six months and, and Vivint has like quickly adapted and like moved and is making production. I mean, like, do you know how long it would take a billion dollar publicly traded company to completely change like their main sales channel to a totally different sales channel? I mean, like months and months and months. And I, I saw this happen in like four days. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But it, it all comes down to the leadership of this company is just so strong. And I, it's so funny, Adam, but I interview guys all the day, all day, and like literally about eight interviews a day. And I hear about their leadership all the time, you know, because I always ask them, like, why, you know, why are you even switching industries right now? Like, why not just stay in car sales or something like that, you know? And uh, they'll explain to me like all these reasons why they feel like they have to get out of whatever job they're, they're doing right now. And a lot of the times I just hear these stories about leadership and I think it's so easy for us to take for, for granted, you know, I know Ty and you and Ad, like we've been around really strong leaders for a long time, but people from the outside have not experienced that. And it is just a totally different ball game out there. So I would say that that is the number one thing and that's going to trickle to all of the other side benefits of working here is the fact that we have such strong leadership to be able to handle a situation like this. That's what you need, man. If the world's ending, you need strong leadership. All the other crap's not going to matter, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, well, you've, uh, you're, you're probably as close as anybody is to, to Adam. I know you guys have been through a lot together as far as building and experiencing, but what are, while I have both of you guys on here, what are some of your guys' uh, most valuable lessons that you've learned together? What have you learned from, from building together? Sure. Dude, this is so funny. I don't know if you know this, but um, me and Adam actually really early on uh, hated each other. Did you know that? Adam, you have a couple stories like that from our guests. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. I never, I never hated Jordan. Okay? No, no, that's clear. So we understand. I no, always, no, I always no. liked Jordan, but yeah. um, no, and, and yes, I'm very dislikable, Ty. But no, no, he's, you're really not. <laughs> Got to work on that first impression, homie. But, but Ty, this is another, this is another good example where like some of my favorite relationships right now have started off really rocky. And because you've like worked through them and you, it's with a person that you could work through them with, they end up being some of your best friends, you know? And it's, it seems to be a similar motif. Even, you know, you look at the Boston North guys, like they're some of my best friends ever right now. And we started off really rocky, you know? And so, um, yeah, no, I think that that is the things that I learned first of all was that um, it's so difficult to judge the level above you when you're not at that level, like in leadership. So like Adam had one of the toughest tasks I've ever seen where he was managing, like in the beginning, this is even before you got here, Ty, but in the beginning, it was like all superstars and only like three manager spots in the entire company. And the guys that were coming over were like experienced veteran leaders. Like Adam's whole office was all former DMs you know, 
Like I, I'd made it up to like a sub-regional position. You had guys like Sorber, like Nate McCarr. I mean, these are guys that were like, you know, they were all-stars, you know, and, and Adam had to run this team of all-stars in a new industry that he didn't really know crap about either. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and we all wanted his job. I mean, we all wanted his, his head on the plate and he's trying to run this, this team of, you know, probably difficult personalities and very difficult personalities. And um, so anyways, yeah, I tried to get Adam fired. So if it's anybody's fault, it's definitely my fault. But, um, and, and so, uh, you know, the, the thing that I, I really learned, first of all, is one, you can't see what the position above you does until you're at that position. And you think that you can, but I promise you, you can't. Two, the second that I started trying to get the guy above me promoted was when I had the most success. I, I learned a very valuable lesson that you should never be trying to get the guy above you in trouble. You should be trying to get him promoted. And the second I started doing that, man, life was, was good. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, I don't know, that's just from that experience, I guess, but what, what for you, what do you, what do you think? Like, what did you learn from that? <laughs> yeah, that was a, those were interesting days, Ty, because when we first started, we had guys coming over from the alarm side of the business, the smart home side of the business. So my, my team of sales reps were all former managers on the alarm side in, it was really difficult to get a DM position and they all, it was like ruling a pirate ship, man. Like yeah. it, uh, my, I, I will a pirate say, ship I think of former my, captains, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, my, my stat, my stature probably came in handy because I was literally willing to fight anyone in the office <laughs> at any time. And, um, and then I just knew, and this is a principle that applies still today to anyone that's in a leadership role, which is, I knew that I just had to be better than everybody. Otherwise um, they were going to rise up. And uh, so, and I wasn't better than all of them every single quarter, but I was one or two basically every single quarter. And a lot of my motivation honestly was fear that if I wasn't number one or number two, at least that I would start losing respect within that group. So it was a, uh, it was a, uh, you know, and Jordan, you always talk about this all the time. That fear is a great motivator, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a lot of my motivation was based on fear of losing the respect of the team. I just knew that I had a team full of all stars in the beginning, and I had to, I had to earn their respect. So, well, it was like performing man, brain surgery in front of a room full of brain surgeons. You know what I mean? Like any little mistake, everybody's like, uh. Shouldn't have done that, you know? And so it's just a, a really Ty, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw you under the bus, Jordan. Ty <laughs> Jordan literally emailed Todd Peterson and was like, Adam's doing a terrible job out here. He's doing a terrible job. He's making all these mistakes. I mean, it was like maybe one of Jordan's worst moments. Um, and I think I'm not going to name any names um, outside of Jordan's, but he was definitely being influenced by a couple other people in the office as well. They sort of like conspiring and, um, you know, literally emails Todd Peterson to try and like house <laughs> me. And, but that was a, I think we all have these defining moments in our careers and especially early for me, like when chance called me and he like sent me the email that Jordan had written. And I remember I printed it out. And, um, the next day I say Jordan in the office and I said, Hey, let's go meet in this room real quick. 
And I can still remember there's, now there's this little office. There's step, step one, Adam, that like a lot of men would not have done that. You know what I mean? Like he immediately brought it up and came directly to me and, and was going to talk through it with me, you know, instead of being like, let's get this guy out of here, you know? So, that, you know, that's, that's, that's a <laughs> so lot I, of respect right there, you know? I remember I printed it out and we went in this office and Ty, I said, hey, Jordan, I just had this email forwarded to me from Chance. And I just felt like it'd be good if we just went through this line by line. And, um, you know, if we've got good feedback for me, let's talk about it. And we like, we literally went through it. And I remember by the end of the email, Jordan's like, this is so stupid. He's like, I don't even know why I wrote this thing. Like, he's like, the half of this isn't even like, you know, accurate and like whatever. And, and he was like literally apologizing by the end of the letter. And then from that point forward, like we were fine. Like, um, yeah. And, um, Anyway, so, but it is interesting how easy it is to solve problems if you just attack them head on instead of trying to be passive about them, you know? Oh, so, that's, yeah. so that's the, one of the worst mistakes you can make with your co-managers. Always go to mm -hmm. them, never, never go above their head. Yeah. Yeah. No, I or spend time made... stewing on it and then explode. Yeah. You know what I mean? What the hell is this? Or something like that. You know, right, I, right. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I was thinking of, you ever watched to catch a predator, that dateline show where they yeah. catch, like those, like <laughs> people that bait people online, but he, yeah, yeah. he calls them into the room and he's like, Hey, what are you doing here, man? And you would just watch the guys like live for the first five minutes. And then, right. he, then he shows them like their printed dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Oh my thing. goodness. I thought you were going to be like, Hey, LaPlace, did you send any emails in the past couple of days? But I don't know. <laughs> No. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you exhibit A. No, I think, no, I think that's a good no. point. I do think people spend a lot of time. It's the same thing with selling. A lot of times people try to get that right. They try to like, they try to like pinpoint the right thing to say instead of just asking the customer, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they, they go into a leadership thing and like, okay, this is what I should say or what advice do you have? Instead of sitting down and saying, hey, this got forwarded to me. I have some concerns with it. Let's talk about it you know what to do. Like as an intuitive human, you know what to do. You just got to get out of your own way. And I think it goes back to that psychology of looking around and saying, okay, I'm agitated. Why am I agitated? What am I projecting? What do I think is happening? Maybe I'll just ask. And then the way is more like revealed to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, no, before we wrap, uh, yeah. So I was go just going to say, before we wrap up, um, I wanted just to kind of hear overall just thoughts on kind of the current state of the, state of affairs of um, our industry and um, just kind of your thoughts on everything going on right now? Well, um, you know, I think it's, it's really a, an, an opportunity here where I, I'm really excited for it. Like if, if you want to look at like an effective team, I always look at like the Marines, right? And they basically take a group of complete strangers, okay, who have never met each other before. And some of them have really rough backgrounds, you know. And after 13 weeks, these guys are so close that they would die for each other. And, you know, kind of the formula for uh, like this to happen is they keep putting these guys in difficult situations where the only way that they can succeed is by helping each other. There's obstacles, there's you know, I don't want to call it hazing, but I mean like, you know, military drills that are so difficult that the only way that you could possibly survive them is with the help of another person. And after 13 weeks of going through all of these trials and tribulations together, they are the closest unit you could possibly imagine. And talk about an effective team. I mean, 
how many of your, you know, reps or co-managers would you willingly go out and take a, a, a bullet for? And it's easy to say it, but they literally will do it, you know? And, and so I think right now we're in this time that's, it's actually very exciting because we have the opportunity as a team, as a company, as, as a coast or, or, you know, just really as a sales force to come together and realize that one, we're not going to make it through this if we don't come together. And, and then two, it's, I'm really looking forward to the fact that we are going to come out of this so much stronger and so much closer where, you know, you know, hopefully at the point where we, we would be willing to die for each other because we went through some crazy hard times together and we made it out on the other end together, you know? And I think that's the thing that I'm the most excited about and as far as our, our current affairs. So my advice to you would be buy into the fact that you will survive this only with the help of others. So help other people. And then two, be excited about coming out on the other end of this with some new, you know, blood 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 brothers you know what i mean so i'm excited for i it, love to be it man. With you. well jordan you're one of my favorites uh one of my favorite storytellers one of my favorite sales reps one of my favorite trainers and um really appreciate everything you've done uh you know for me personally but i think um everyone that's worked with you can attribute a part of their success to things that you've trained on and one-on-one -on -one conversations and um and uh, I think you're a really, really valuable piece uh, in a part of the history of the company. I mean, you've been with us uh, almost since day one. So um, I know your contributions are felt far and wide. So really appreciate you having you on. Um, and this has been another episode of Electric People. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I had a great time with you. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.